Chapter Twenty Four of Sixty Years in Southern California, eighteen fifty three to nineteen thirteen, by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K. Hand. Chapter Twenty Four, H. Newmark and Company, Carlisle King Duel, eighteen sixty five to eighteen sixty six. From eighteen sixty two, I continued for three years, as I have told, in the commission business and notwithstanding the bad seasons i was thus pursuing a sufficiently easy and pleasant existence when a remark which after the lapse of time i see may have been carelessly dropped inspired me with the determination to enter again upon a more strenuous and confining life on friday june eighteenth eighteen sixty five i was seated in my little office when a los angeles merchant named david solomon whose store was in the arcadia block called upon me and with much feeling related that while returning by steamer from the north prudent beaudry had made the senseless boast that he would drive every jew in los angeles out of business beaudry then a man of large means conducted in his one-story adobe building on the northeast corner of aliso and los angeles streets the largest general merchandise establishment this side of san francisco i listened to solomon's recital without giving expression to my immediately formed resolve but no sooner had he left than I closed my office and started for Wilmington. During the twelve years that I had been in California, the forwarding business between Los Angeles and the coast had seen many changes. Tomlinson and Company, who had bought out A.W. Timms, controlled the largest tonnage in town, including that of Beaudry, Jones, Childs, and others, while Banning and Company, although actively engaged in the transportation to Yuma of freight and supplies for the United States government, were handicapped for lack of business into los angeles i thought therefore that phineas banning would eagerly seize an opportunity to pay his score to the numerous local merchants who had treated him with so little consideration besides a very close intimacy existed between him and myself which may best be illustrated by the fact that for years past when short of cash banning used to come to my old sheet iron safe and help himself according to his requirements Arriving in Wilmington, I found Banning loading a lot of teams with lumber. I related the substance of Solomon's remarks and proposed a secret partnership, with the understanding that, providing he would release me from the then-existing charge of seven dollars and a half per ton for hauling freight from Wilmington to Los Angeles, I should supply the necessary capital, purchase a stock of goods, conduct the business without cost to him, and then divide the profits if any should accrue. Banning said, I must first consult Don David meaning Alexander, his partner, promising at the same time to report the result within a few days. While I was at dinner, therefore, on the following Sunday, Patrick Downey, Banning's Los Angeles agent, called on me and stated that the chief was in his office in the Downey block, on the site of Temple's old adobe, and would be glad to see me. Without further parleying, Banning accepted my proposition, and on the following morning, or June 21st, I rented the last vacant store in Stearns' Arcadia Block on Los Angeles Street, which stands today, by the way, much as it was erected in 1858. It adjoined John Jones's and was nearly opposite the establishment of P. Beaudry. There I put up the sign of H. Newmark, soon to be changed to H. Newmark and Company, and it is a source of no little gratification to me that from this small beginning has developed the wholesale grocery firm of m a newmark and company footnote fifty years after this unpretentious venture in arcadia block 
that is in the summer of 1915 the half-century of m a newmark and company and their predecessors was celebrated with a picnic in the woodlands belonging to universal city the holiday and its pleasures having been provided by the firm as a compliment to its employees on that occasion a loving cup was presented by the employees to m a newmark who responded feelingly to the speech by m h newmark another but somewhat differently inscribed cup was tendered harris newmark in an address by herman flatow bringing from the venerable recipient a hearty reply full of genial reminiscence and natural emotion in which he happily likened his commercial enterprise once the small store in los angeles street to a snowball rolling down the mountainside gathering in momentum and size and fortunately preserving its original whiteness undoubtedly this fifty-year jubilee will take its place among the pleasantest experiences of a long and varied career the editors and footnote at that time Stearns's property was all in the hands of the sheriff tomas sanchez who had also been appointed receiver and like all other tenants i rented my storeroom from deputy a j king rents and other incomes were paid to the receiver and out of them a regular monthly allowance of fifty dollars was made to Stearns for his private expenses the stock on Stearns's ranches by the way was then in charge of pierre domecq a well-known and prosperous man who was here perhaps a decade before i came my only assistant was my wide-awake nephew m a newmark then fifteen years of age who had arrived in los angeles early in eighteen sixty five at my request banning and company released their bookkeeper frank le Couvier, and i engaged him he was a thoroughly reliable man and had besides a technical knowledge of wagon materials in which as a sideline i expected to specialize while all of these arrangements were being completed the local business world queried and buzzed as to my intentions having rented quarters i immediately telegraphed my brother j p newmark to buy and ship a quantity of flour sugar potatoes salt and other heavy staples and these i sold upon arrival at cost and steamer freight plus seven dollars and a half per ton since the departure of my brother from los angeles for permanent residence in san francisco where he entered into partnership with isaac leitner forming j p newmark and company he had been engaged in the commission business and this afforded me facilities i might otherwise not have had insomuch as also as all of my neighbors were obliged to pay this toll for hauling while i was not they were forced to do business at cost about the first of july i went to san francisco and laid in a complete stock paralleling with the exception of clothing and dry goods the lines handled by bodring banning who was then building prairie schooners for which he had ordered some three hundred and fifty tons of iron and other wagon materials joined me in chartering the brig tanner on which i loaded an equal tonnage of general merchandise wagon parts and blacksmith coal the very important trade with salt lake city elsewhere described helped us greatly for we at once negotiated with the mormon leaders and giving them credit when they were short of funds it was not long before we were brought into constant communication with brigham young and through his influence monopolized the salt lake business thinking over these days of our dealings with the latter-day saints i recall a very amusing experience with an apostle named crosby who once brought down a number of teams and wagons to load with supplies during his visit to town i invited him and several of his friends to dinner and in answer to the commonplace inquiry as to his preference for some particular part of a dish crosby made the logical mormonite reply that quantity was what appealed to him most a flash of wit much appreciated by all of the guests 
During this same visit, Crosby tried hard to convert me to Mormonism, but after several ineffectual interviews he abandoned me as a hopeless case. At another time, while reflecting on my first years as a wholesale grocer, I was led to examine a day-book of 1867, and to draw a comparison between the prices then current and now, when the high cost of living is so much discussed. Raw sugar sold at 14 cents, starch at 16, crushed sugar at 17, ordinary tea at 60, coal oil at 65 cents a gallon, axle grease at 75 cents per tin, bluing at one dollar a pound, and wrapping paper at one dollar and a half per ream. Spices, not yet sold in cans, cost three dollars for a dozen bottles. Yeast powders, now superseded by baking powder, commanded the same price per dozen. Twenty-five pounds of shot in a bag cost three dollars and a half, while in October of that year, blacksmith coal shipped in casks holding fifteen hundred and ninety-two pounds each, sold at the rate of fifty dollars a ton. The steamers or a flamme, California, Pacific, and Sierra Nevada commenced to run in 1866 and continued until about the middle of the 70s. The Pacific was later sunk in the Straits of San Juan de Fuca, and the Sierra Nevada was lost on the rocks off Port Harford. The Los Angeles, the Ventura, and the Constantine were steamers of a somewhat later date, seldom going farther south than San Pedro, and continuing to run until they were lost. To resume the suggestive story of I. W. Hellman, who remained in business with his cousin until he was able, in 1865, to buy out Adolf Portugal and embark for himself at the corner of Main and Commercial Streets, during his association with large landowners and men of affairs who esteemed him for his practicality, he was fortunate in securing their confidence and patronage, and being asked so often to operate for them in financial matters, he laid the foundation for his subsequent career as a banker, in which he has attained such success. The Pioneer Oil Company had been organized about the 1st of February, with Phineas Banning, President, P. Downey, Secretary, Charles Ducommon, Treasurer, and Winfield S. Hancock, Dr. John S. Griffin, Dr. J. B. Winston, M. Keller, B. D. Wilson, J. G. Downey, and Volney E. Howard among the trustees, and the company soon acquired title to all Brea, petroleum or rock oil in San Pasquale Rancho. In the early summer, Sackett and Morgan, on Main Street, near the post office, exhibited some local kerosene, or coal oil, and experimenters were gathering the oil that floated on Pico Spring and refining it, without distillation, at a cost of ten cents a gallon. Coming just when Mayor Strobel announced progress in boring at La Cañada de Brea, these ventures increased here the excitement about oil, and soon after wells were sunk in the Camulos Rancho. On Wednesday afternoon, July 5th, at 4 o'clock, occurred one of the pleasant social occasions of the mid-sixties, the wedding of Solomon Lazard and Miss Caroline, third daughter of Joseph Newmark. The bride's father performed the ceremony at M. Kramer's residence on Main Street, near my own adobe, and the site on which later C. E. Tom built his charming residence, with its rural attractions, diagonally across from the pleasant grounds of Colonel J. G. Howard. The same evening, at half-past eight, a ball and dinner at the Bella Union celebrated the event. While these festivities were taking place, a quarrel, ending in a tragedy, began in the hotel office below. Robert Carlyle, who had married Francisca, daughter of Colonel Isaac Williams, and was the owner of some 46,000 acres comprising the Chino Ranch, fell into an altercation with A.J. King, then under-sheriff, over the outcome of a murder trial but before any further damage was done, friends separated them. 
about noon on the following day however when people were getting ready to leave for the steamer and everything was life and bustle about the hotel frank and houston king the under sheriff's brothers passing by the barroom of the bella union and seeing carlyle inside entered drew their six shooters and began firing at him carlyle also drew a revolver and shot frank king who died almost instantly houston king kept up the fight and carlyle riddled with bullets dropped to the sidewalk there king not yet seriously injured struck his opponent on the head the force of the blow breaking his weapon but carlyle a man of iron put forth his little remaining strength staggered to the wall raised his pistol with both hands took deliberate aim and fired it was his last but effective shot for it penetrated king's body carlyle was carried into the hotel and placed on a billiard table and there about three o'clock he expired at the first exchange of shots the people nearby panic-stricken fled and only a merciful providence prevented the sacrifice of other lives j h lander was accidentally wounded in the thigh some eight or ten bystanders had their clothes pierced by stray bullets and one of the stage horses dropped where he stood before the hotel door when the first shot was fired i was on the corner of commercial street only a short distance away and reached the scene in time to see frank king expire and witness carlyle writhing in agony a death more striking considering the murder of carlyle's brother-in-law john Raines. carlyle was buried from the belly union at four o'clock the next day king's funeral took place from a j king's residence two days later at eight o'clock in the morning houston king having recovered he was tried for carlyle's murder but was acquitted the trial contributing to make the affair one of the most mournful of all tragic events in the early history of los angeles and rendering it impossible to express the horror of the public one feature only of the terrible contest afforded a certain satisfaction and that was the splendid exhibition of those qualities in some respects heroic so common among the old californians of that time july was clouded with a particularly gruesome murder george williams and cyrus kimball of san diego while removing with their families to los angeles had spent the night near the santa ana river and while some distance from camp at sunrise next morning were overtaken by seven armed desperadoes under the leadership of one jack o'brien and without word of explanation were shot dead the women hearing the commotion ran toward the spot only to be commanded by the robbers to deliver all money and valuables in their possession over three thousand dollars the entire savings of their husbands was secured after which the murderers made their escape posses scoured the surrounding country but the cutthroats were never apprehended stimulated perhaps by the king carlisle tragedy the common council in july prohibited everybody except officers and travelers from carrying a pistol dirk slingshot or sword but the measure lacked public support and little or no attention was paid to the law some idea of the modest proportion of business affairs in the early sixties may be gathered from the fact that when the los angeles post office on august tenth was made a money deposit office it was obligatory that all cash in excess of five hundred dollars should be dispatched by steamer to san francisco in eighteen sixty five w h perry having been given a franchise to light the city with gas organized the los angeles city gas company five years later selling out his holdings at a large profit a promise was made to furnish free gas for lamps at the principal crossings on main street and for lights in the mayor's office and the consumer's price at first agreed upon was ten dollars a thousand cubic feet the history of westlake park is full of interest about eighteen sixty five the city began to sell part of its public land in lots of thirty-five acres employing e w noyes as auctioneer 
much of it went at five and ten dollars an acre but when the district now occupied by the park and lake was reached the auctioneer called in vain for bids at even a dollar an acre nobody wanted the alkali hillocks then the auctioneer offered the area at twenty-five cents an acre but still received no bids and the sale was discontinued in the late eighties a number of citizens who had bought land in the vicinity came to mayor workman and promised to pay one half of the cost of making a lake and laying out pleasure grounds on the unsightly place and as the mayor favored the plan it was executed and this was the first step in the formation of westlake park on september second dr j j dyer a dentist from san francisco having opened an office in the bella union hotel announced that he would visit the home of patrons and there extract or repair the sufferer's teeth the complicated equipment of a modern dentist would hardly permit of such peripatetic service today other representatives of this profession and also certain opticians still travel to many of the small inland towns in california once or twice a year stopping in each for a week or two at a time i have spoken of the use in eighteen fifty three of river water for drinking and the part played by the private water carrier this system was still largely used until the fall when david w alexander leased all the public waterworks for four years together with the privilege of renewing the lease another four or six years alexander was to pay one thousand dollars rental a year agreeing also to surrender the plant to the city at the termination of his contract on august seventh alexander assigned his lease to don louis sansevain and about the middle of october sansevain made a new contract damien marchesault associated himself with don louis and together they laid pipes from the street now known as macy throughout the business part of the city and as far south as first street these water pipes were constructed of pine logs from the mountains of san bernardino bored and made to join closely at the ends but they were continually bursting causing springs of water that made their way to the surface of the streets conway and Waite sold the news then a tri-weekly supposed to appear three times a week yet frequently issued but twice to a j king and company on november eleventh and king becoming the editor made of the newspaper a semi-weekly to complete what i was saying about the schlesingers in 1865 moritz returned to germany jacob had arrived in los angeles in 1860 but disappearing four years later his whereabouts was a mystery until one fine day his brother received a letter from him dated gunboat pocahontas jake had entered the service of uncle sam the pocahontas was engaged in blockade work under the command of admiral farragut and jake and the admiral were paying special attention to sabine pass then fortified by the confederacy on november twenty seventh Andrew J. Glassell and Colonel James G. Howard arrived together in Los Angeles. The former had been admitted to the California bar some ten or twelve years before, but in the early sixties he temporarily abandoned his profession and engaged in ranching near Santa Cruz. After the war, Glassell drifted back to the practice of law, and having soon cast his lot with Los Angeles, formed a partnership with Alfred B. Chapman. Two or three years later, Colonel George H. Smith, a Confederate Army officer who in the early 70s lived on Fort Street, was taken into the firm, and for years Glassell, Chapman, and Smith were among the leading attorneys at the Los Angeles Bar. Glassell died on January 28, 1901. To add to the excitement of the middle 60s, a picturesque street encounter took place, terminating almost fatally. Colonel, the redoubtable E.J.C. Kewen, and a good-natured German named Fred Lemberg, son-in-law to the old Miller Boers, having come to blow on Los Angeles Street near Mellis's Row, Lemberg knocked Kewen down, whereupon friends interfered and peace was apparently restored. Kewen, a southerner, dwelt upon the fancied indignity to which he had been subjected, and went from store to store until he finally borrowed a pistol, 
after which, in front of John Jones's, he lay in wait. When Lemberg, who, because of his nervous energy, was known as the Flying Dutchman, again appeared, rushing across the street in the direction of Mellis's row, the equally excited colonel opened fire, drawing from his adversary a retaliatory round of shots. I was standing nearly opposite the scene and saw the Flying Dutchman and Kewen each dodging around a pillar in the front of the row, until finally Lemberg, with a bullet in his abdomen, ran out into Los Angeles Street and fell to the ground, his legs convulsively assuming a perpendicular position and then dropping back. After recovering from what was thought to be a fatal wound, Lemberg left Los Angeles for Arizona or Mexico, but before he reached his destination he was murdered by Indians. I have told of the trade between Los Angeles and Salt Lake City, which started up briskly in 1855 and grew in importance until the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad put an end to it. Indeed, in 1865 and 1866, Los Angeles Enterprise pushed forward until merchandise was teamed as far as Bannock, Idaho, 450 miles beyond Salt Lake, and Helena, Montana, 1,400 miles away. This indicates to what an extent the building of railroads ultimately affected the early Los Angeles merchants. The Spanish drama was the event of December 17th when Señor Don Guiardo el de Castillo and Señora Amelia Estrella del Castillo played La Trenza de sus Cabellos to an enthusiastic audience. In 1865 or 1866, William T. Glassell, a younger brother of Andrew Glassell, came to Los Angeles on a visit, and being attracted by the southwest country, he remained to assist Glassell and Chapman in founding Orange, formerly known as Richland. No doubt pastoral California looked good to young Glassell, for he had but just passed eighteen weary months in a northern military prison. Having thought out a plan for blowing up the United States ironclads off Charleston Harbor, Lieutenant Glassell supervised the construction of a cigar-shaped craft, known as a David, which carried a torpedo attached to the end of a fifteen-foot pole, and on October 5, 1863, young Glassell and three other volunteers steamed out in the darkness against the formidable new Ironsides. The torpedo was exploded, doing no greater damage than to send up a column of water which fell onto the ship, and also to hurl the young officers into the bay. Glassell died here at an early age. John T. Best, the assessor, was another pioneer who had an adventurous life prior to, and for a long time after, coming to California. Having run away to sea from his main home about the middle fifties, Best soon found himself among pirates, but escaping their clutches he came under the domination of a captain whose cruelty, off desolate Cape Horn, was hardly preferable to death. Reaching California about 1858, Best fled from another captain's brutality, and making his way into the northern forests, was taken in and protected by kind-hearted woodmen, secluded within palisades. Successive Indian outbreaks constantly threatened him and his comrades, and for years he was compelled to defend himself against the savages. At last, safe and sound, he settled within the pale of civilization, at the outbreak of the Civil War, enlisting as a Union officer in the 1st Battalion of California Soldiers. Since then, Best has resided mostly in Los Angeles. The year 1866 is memorable as the concluding period of the Great War. Although Lee had surrendered in the preceding April, more than fifteen months elapsed before the Washington authorities officially proclaimed the end of the titanic struggle which left one half of the nation prostrate, and the other half burdened with new and untold responsibilities. By the opening of the year, however, one of the miracles of modern history, the quiet and speedy return of the soldier to the vocations of peace, began, and soon some of those who had left for the front when the war broke out were to be seen again in our Southland, starting life anew. With them, too, came a few pioneers from the East, 
harbingers of an army soon to settle our valleys and seasides all in all the year was the beginning of a brighter era here it may not be amiss to take up the tale of the mimic war in which phineas banning and i engaged in the little commercial world of los angeles and to tell to what an extent the fortunes of my competitors were influenced and how the absorption of the transportation charge from the seaboard caused their downfall o w childs in less than three months found the competition too severe and surrendered lock stock and barrel p Beaudry, whose vainglorious boast had stirred up this rumpus sold out to me on january first eighteen sixty six just a few months after his big talk john jones was the last to yield in january eighteen sixty six i bought out banning who was soon to take his seat in the legislature for the advancing of his san pedro railroad project and agreed to pay him in the future seven dollars and a half per ton for hauling my goods from wilmington to los angeles which was mutually satisfactory and when we came to balance up it was found that banning had received for his part in the enterprise an amount equal to all that would otherwise have been charged for transportation and a tidy sum besides sam brother of caspar Cohn, who had been in carson city nevada came to los angeles and joined me we grew rapidly and in a short time became of some local importance when caspar sold out at red bluff in january eighteen sixty six we tendered him a partnership we were now three very busy associates besides m a newmark who clerked for us several references have been made to the trade between los angeles and arizona due in part to the needs of the army there i remember that early in february not less than twenty-seven government wagons were drawn up in front of h newmark and company's store to be loaded with seventy to seventy-five tons of groceries and provisions for troops in the territory notwithstanding the handicaps in this wagon train traffic there was still much objection to railroads especially to the plan for a line between los angeles and san pedro some of the strongest opposition coming from el monte where in february ranchers circulated a petition disapproving railroad bills introduced by banning into the legislature a common argument was that the railroad would do away with horses and the demand for barley and one wealthy citizen who succeeded in inducing many to follow his lead vehemently insisted that two trains a month for many years would be all that could be expected by eighteen seventy four however not less than fifty to sixty freight cars were arriving daily in los angeles from wilmington once more in eighteen sixty six the post office was moved this time to a building opposite the bella union hotel there it remained until perhaps eighteen sixty eight when it was transferred to the northwest corner of main and market streets in the spring of eighteen sixty six the los angeles board of education was petitioned to establish a school where spanish as well as english should be taught probably the first step toward the introduction into public courses here of the now much studied castellano in noting the third schoolhouse at the corner of san pedro and washington streets i should not forget to say that judge dryden bought the lot for the city at a cost of one hundred dollars when the fourth school was erected at the corner of charity and eighth streets it was built on property secured for three hundred and fifty dollars by m kramer who served on the school board for nine years from eighteen sixty six with henry d barrows and william workman there a few years ago a brick building replaced the original wooden structure besides miss eliza madigan teachers of this period or later were the misses hattie and frankie scott daughters of judge scott the misses maggie hamilton eula p bixby emma l hawks clara m jones h k sachs and c h kimball a sister of governor downey soon to become mrs peter martin was also a public school teacher piped gas as well as water had been quite generally brought into private use shortly after their introduction all pipes running along the surface of walls and ceilings in neither a very judicious nor ornamental arrangement 
the first gas figures consisted of the old-fashioned unornamented drops from the ceiling connected at right angles to the cross pipe with its two plain burners one at either end forming an inverted t and years passed before artistic bronzes and globes such as were displayed in profusion at the centennial exposition were seen to any extent here in september leon loeb arrived in los angeles and entered the employ of s lazard and company later becoming a partner when eugene meyer left for san francisco on the first of january eighteen eighty four resigning his position as french consular agent loeb succeeded him both in that capacity and as head of the firm after fifteen years service the french government conferred upon mr loeb the decoration of an officer of the academy as past master of the odd fellows he became in time one of the oldest members of lodge number thirty five on march twenty third eighteen seventy nine loeb married my eldest daughter estelle and on july twenty second nineteen eleven he died joseph p and edwin j loeb the attorneys and partners of irving m walker son-in-law of tomas lorenzo duque footnote died on april sixth nineteen fifteen and footnote are sons of leon loeb in the summer there came to los angeles from the northern part of california an educator who had already established there and in wisconsin an excellent reputation as a teacher this was george w burton who was accompanied by his wife a lady educated in france and italy with them they brought two assistants a young man and a young woman adding another young woman teacher after they arrived the company of pedagogues made quite a formidable array and their number permitted the division of the school then on main near what is now second street into three departments one a kind of kindergarten another for young girls and a third for boys the school grew and it soon became necessary to move the boys department to the vestry room of the little episcopal church on the corner of temple and new high streets not only was burton an accomplished scholar and experienced teacher but mrs burton was a linguist of talent and also proficient in both instrumental and vocal music our eldest children attended the burton school as did also those of many friends such as the kramers whites morrises griffiths the volney howards kewins scotts nichols the schumachers joneses and the bannings daniel bowen another watchmaker and jeweler came after pyle establishing himself on september eleventh on the south side of commercial street he sold watches clocks jewelry and spectacles and he used to advertise with the figure of a huge watch s nordlinger who arrived here in eighteen sixty eight bought bowen out and continued the jewelry business during forty-two years until his death in nineteen eleven when as a pioneer jeweler he was succeeded by louis s and melville nordlinger who still use the title of s nordlinger and sons charles c lips a german came to los angeles from philadelphia in eighteen sixty six and joined the wholesale liquor firm of e martin and company later lips craig and company in the baker block as a volunteer fireman he was a member of the old thirty eights a fact adding interest to the appointment on february twenty eighth nineteen o five of his son walter lips as chief of the los angeles fire department on october third william wolfskill died mourned by many though but sixty-eight years of age he had witnessed much in the founding of our great southwestern commonwealth and notwithstanding the handicaps to his early education and the disappointments of his more eventful years he was a man of marked intelligence and remained unembittered and kindly disposed toward his fellow-man a good example of what an industrious man following an ordinary trade could accomplish in early days was afforded by andrew gojin a blacksmith who came here in eighteen sixty six a powerful son of the isle of man measuring over six feet and tipping the beam at more than two hundred pounds he had soon saved enough money to buy for five hundred dollars a large frontage at second and hill streets 
selling it shortly after for fifteen hundred from los angeles gogin went to arizona and then to san juan capistrano but was back here again in eighteen seventy opening another shop toward the middle seventies gogin was making rather ingenious ploughs of iron and steel which attracted considerable attention as fast as he accumulated a little money he invested it in land buying in eighteen seventy four for six thousand dollars some three hundred and sixty acres comprising part of one of the siniega ranchos to which he moved in eighteen seventy six seven years later he purchased three hundred and five acres once called the tom gray ranch now known by the more pretentious name of arlington heights in eighteen eighty eight three years after he had secured six hundred acres of the palos verdes rancho near wilmington the blacksmith retired and made a grand tour of europe revisiting his beloved isle of man pat goodwin was another blacksmith who reached los angeles in eighteen sixty six or eighteen sixty seven shooing his way as it were south from san francisco through san jose whiskey flat and other picturesque places in the service of a o thorne one of the stage line proprietors he had a shop first on spring street where later the empire stables were opened and afterward at the corner of second and spring streets on the site in time bought by j e hollenbeck still another smith of this period was henry king brother of john king formerly of the bella union who in eighteen seventy nine to eighty served two terms as chief of police later a l bath was a well-known wheelwright who located his shop on spring street near third in eighteen sixty six quite a calamity befell this pueblo the abandonment by the government of drum barracks as this had been one of the chief sources of revenue for our small community the loss was severely felt and the immediate effect disastrous about the same time too samuel b caswell father of w m caswell first of the los angeles savings bank and now of the security who had come to los angeles the year before took into partnership john f ellis and under the title of caswell and ellis they started a good-sized grocery and merchandise business and between the competition that they brought and the reduction of the circulating medium times with h newmark and company became somewhat less prosperous later john h wright was added to the firm and it became caswell ellis and wright on september first eighteen seventy one the firm dissolved end of chapter twenty four